Hello and welcome to the Cafe Bitcoin Podcast, brought to you by Swan Bitcoin, the best way to buy and learn about Bitcoin. I'm your host, Alex Danzik, and we're excited to announce that we are bringing the Cafe Bitcoin conversation from Twitter Spaces to you on this show, Cafe Bitcoin Podcast, Monday through Friday, every week. Join us as we speak to guests like Max Kaiser, Lynn Alden, Tomer Strolight, Corey Clipston, and many others from the Bitcoin space. Also, be sure to hit that subscribe button. Make sure you get notifications of when we launch a new episode or join us live on Twitter Spaces Monday through Friday at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern, every morning to become part of the conversation. Thank you again. We look forward to giving you the best Bitcoin content daily here on the Cafe Bitcoin Podcast. Speaking to the creepy stuff from yesterday, the Great Reset. We should do a space one day called the Great Reset. So, as some of you may know, Davos is underway. Davos over in Switzerland. It's a gathering of uh, many of the so-called world leaders. Started by Klaus Schwab, World Economic Forum. And... Uh, Many of the principal owners, Klaus calls them stakeholders of the largest corporations in the world. I used to hear stuff like this and think, wow, yeah, that's a conspiracy theory. There's not actually a cabal of people that gets together and plans things for mankind. As it turns out, Conspiracy theorists were right. <laughs> uh, I just wish morning, I know this sounds sad, but like I just know she didn't look so villainous. That's I think makes it like even worse that it's like so on the nose. You know? No, it's perfect. It's perfect. <laughs> it's, just, it's, it's too good. It's you can't perfect. make this shit up. Yeah. Klaus Schwab is the perfect character for a supervillain. He's like supervillain V one O V V dot he needs no further versions. He's like dead on. <laughs> but I guess that's the disappointment. You're kind of hoping you're hoping for some more originality rather than this cartoonish Blofeld character who's just the only thing he's missing is a white Persian cat on his lap the whole time he speaks. He needs to occasionally put his pinky fingernail up to his mouth. That would complete the image, actually. What do you think in Shane? Try again. Hey, yeah, I just wanted to check my audio but i was um i'm trying to remember now the book but i downloaded like a sample from kindle of a book that was talking about the bank of international settlements and it was just pretty um you know not flattering let's put it that way <laughs> it's one of those rabbit hole things so anyway uh klaus introduced Xi Jinping yesterday as a, a keynote speaker at Davos. And it's the way he introduced him that creeped me out. He goes, it is my distinct honor and great privilege to introduce His Excellency Xi Jinping, the President of the People's Republic of China to open the Davos agenda. 
I don't know about you guys. That's creepy as hell. Yeah, like I said, his accent. I mean, it's just the whole character, so I don't want to like... But yeah, that is some frightening shit. You know, we, I, who, who voted on this guy to be a part of it, too? I, I didn't vote on this dude. I, don't even, I didn't even know who he was until like a year ago. It's crazy. This is why we Bitcoin. If you're a baby Bitcoiner and you don't know what any of this stuff is, you will. <laughs> Rabbit holes. There's a pathway to learning. If you find if you're new to Bitcoin, you don't know anything about Bitcoin, you find yourself in one of these rooms. You're searching for the truth. I applaud you. We're gonna take you on a ride out of the matrix. Our objective is to orange pill you. Help you understand. So, hey, Alex, while we're waiting to get into the main topic, I just read on Twitter that um, Intel is announcing a ultra-low-voltage Bitcoin mining ASIC. That sounds pretty cool. Who announced this? I Intel. Intel is getting into the ASIC game? That's what it says. Bitcoin Magazine's uh, tweeted it out nine minutes ago. You have the article? I'll put it in the nest, yeah. Well, it's not an article. It's just, uh, but I, I'll look for an article too. Cool. While we're waiting, um, I guess it's tomorrow. Yep, tomorrow. At 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern, Swan Signal Live with Odell and Jan Pritzker. That's going to be a banger. Don't miss that one. Also, um, going to Bitcoin 2022. I hope some of you guys are as well. It's going to be a lot of fun. If you still need tickets, you can uh, use the promo code SWAN, S-W-A-N, and get 10% off tickets. Let me know if you're going. be cool to hook up. I can't wait All to right. go hang out, dude. Party with some Bitcoiners. I don't. I haven't met you in person, so I'm really excited to be able to get to do that. I went to a conference last year, and it was like the best time I've had. Partying with Bitcoiners is a great time because you guys all kind of have like the same views on things. So any of those like really awkward conversations don't really happen. You guys just talk about a lot of cool stuff. It's the best. I wonder how long they've had that planned or if that's something they're spinning up in response to Jack Dorsey. Well, I was just reading a little bit more and I can't find a contemporary article, but apparently they've already been doing some kind of ASICs for the Department of Defense and stuff. So this must be a more com you know, commercial application. So it sounds like they've already been into it in some way or another, but I don't know. I have the article pulled up um, from Tom's Hardware, which I did put it into the nest. Uh, just some things that in the article, it says uh, the new Bonanza Mine processor, a new chip described as an ultra low voltage, energy efficient Bitcoin mining ASIC. That means that Intel could soon compete with the likes of Bitmain in the market for specialized ASICs of Bitcoin mining. Uh, 
and that's pretty much as far as it goes. So uh, I don't know if they're referring to that that conference that's coming up in, in February in Texas, which is uh, going to be pretty awesome, um, or or another one. But this is pretty exciting. This is like the game theory kind of playing out. Like you know what I mean? People are seeing the incentive to get into mining, and companies are just kind of going pretty hard at it, which is pretty awesome. Completely off topic, but for what it's worth, Microsoft purchased uh, Activision Blizzard today, which is kind of weird. That video game company. I don't think it's weird at all. It's all part of getting a piece of the metaverse, man. You know, that's what they were saying. Yeah, you know, on on uh, so CNBC or whatever that that's network is, Squawk on the Street this morning, they used the words like metaverse and NFT when describing this purchase from Microsoft, but not one time did they mention Bitcoin. So it's just like the narrative that is being played out in the, in the mainstream media is just insane. Like they're, they're refusing to discuss it. They don't show a chart. They don't even bring it up, you know, but Microsoft makes a purchase and now they talk about those things. So it's unfortunate. There's just, I think they're looking at all the metrics from all of these uh, coins that get spun up and they want a piece of it. It's really what it comes down to, in my opinion. I want to miss out on that pump and dump action. And it's Call of Duty is one of their, you know, biggest titles. So that's a, that's a big deal for them. That sounds like probably a pretty good metaverse game. <laughs> I don't like, I don't want to get shot in the metaverse or anything like that. I don't like Call of Duty, really. But I did like World of Warcraft. Side note. I saw big, this big really good... Fan. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I saw this really good picture of a tweet yesterday. A guy, I think, basically was like... He's like, I like... Just give me all the Bitcoin and I'll keep the uh, analog world. You know, and and, the, and it showed a really cool-looking, you know, cabin-like thing, you know, with a mountain in a mountainous area. Like, I kind of like this guy. <laughs> Bitcoin Citadels, they're coming. Yeah, man. Micro reactors, off grid, don't need state anything. Your own water, your own food, good people. Yeah, that's the future. So, Naya Bukele as time goes on, appears to be getting more and more belligerent. He had this tweet from yesterday. I put it in the nest. It's pretty funny. So, investing.com tweets out, Moody's downgrades El Salvador sovereign debt due to Bitcoin trades, and there's a map. And on the map, it's not El Salvador, it's El Holdador. <laughs> and so, Bukele tweets that out, the map, with El Holdador. And then he goes, breaking El Salvador DGAF. Honey Badger don't give a fuck, man. That's what it is. I love Bukele for doing stuff like this. Me too. So I mean, a lot things, of things. But this is cool. I mean, he knows, he knows that this downgrade is just temporary. Uh, give it another couple of years and they'll get fucking, you know, triple A upgrade, right? Well, the original test, you know, in the first game of poker, the first hand that was played essentially after he came out and said, we're, we're going um, to make El Salvador, 
we're going to make Bitcoin legal tender. The first hand that was played was the IMF World Bank said, well, we can't help you with that transition. Oh, and by the way, we're going to withhold a billion plus uh, infrastructure loan because we think your credit's not good because of what you're doing with Bitcoin, right? And he was he basically like, fine. And he called their bluff. And they came back to him and said, okay, okay, we were just kidding. We want to play. So after that, I think, um, he realized, maybe, I'm speculating, but I'm just watching the chain of events, that he had a lot more leverage than he anticipated by doing this. And I think that moving forward, that uh, that may be the case. I hope he doesn't get suicided, and I hope he does. he's not in any plane crashes or anything like that, because... It's a very brave thing the man's doing. Hey, Wicked. So I, I had never thought about that. So like the Bitcoin value goes up. So then, you know, this this rating that they received from uh, Murray or, or wherever, um, and they get bumped up to a AAA, like how, how would that work? Like, I mean, obviously I know how that works, but like, so Bikele would just be like thrilled that now he like has all this like money and he can leverage that for more credit from like them and do more projects like that's how that would work because like i figured him going to this bitcoin standard thing was kind of like an f you to getting loans from people and like the dollar but is that not how it should be looked at uh, i'm no expert in this matter i mean I, I think what you said there is is more or less correct and i imagine that if his you know country's rating went up he would probably leverage that to get you know cheap loans and buy more bitcoin <laughs> that's so would, awesome basically take take a page out of michael michael saylor's book but on a, on a country level man we had a uh, lord fusatua was in our space last week talking about doing exactly that and i would not be surprised to see these smaller countries any financings they can get just building out Bitcoin infrastructure, power generation infrastructure, and uh, and just buying Bitcoin for their balance sheets directly. Well, that's kind of the interesting thing is like the 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 higher Bitcoin's price goes now that you know these or now that uh, El Salvador has some holdings and is you know growing their stack. Um, I guess like the more the, the, the more power they have uh, to acquire you know more capital and and reinvest it into bitcoin so it's almost like um a positive feedback loop you know where the early movers just knock everyone else out of the park because they already have you know a, a stack which is then giving them more and more leverage as it gets more and more valuable i mean it makes sense you would think for them just to get you know a thousand ten thousand bitcoin and just sit on it, right? Because, I mean, it'll cost them essentially nothing because they can just make the money for the most part. I'm not talking about these smaller countries, but countries like the United States, Switzerland, Germany, China, if they wanted to stack a 1,000 or 10,000 Bitcoin, it'd be nothing to them. It would cost them nothing. Yet, it would ensure their place, that they have a place in the game, so to speak. You know, Adam or Alex, I mean, I'm sorry, I, I, I kind of have this feeling that, you know, the United States and others must have or, you know, will 
have before they openly um, accumulate some type of um, proxy company or something that I guess they'll just take over. <laughs> um, I don't know. But in other words, you know, it's going to be interesting because I think if they openly accumulate right now, or they're admitting to the dollar being weak, but I'm sure they know it's a foregone conclusion that Bitcoin's going to uh, be much more, you know, take center stage. So I wouldn't be surprised if they're not accumulating in some kind of uh, secret way right now. I think they most definitely are. I don't remember where I read this or even where I heard this conversation, but this had this is just how it had to be like they nobody the only way out of this situation is through like an open voluntary network that we could all opt into like if if they had to push another monetary system on us like i think there's that couldn't have been done like there needs to be a like a a natural transfer to this network that we're all going to be a part of in bitcoin like it, it couldn't have just been forced on us so i think <clears throat> i don't know what i think you know to be honest but sometimes you wonder like was this a plan kind of thing? Like, did, did they know that the dollar was failing and then like they had not, no, I'm not talking about what the situation today I'm referring to Bitcoin. And like, did they, I don't know, like, I don't even know, but it's just, it's, it's crazy to think that like, this is the only option that we can to get out of the situation. Um, so yeah. Are so wicked. To, are you trying to suggest that, that the government is somehow responsible for the creation of Bitcoin? It seems like I am going that way, and I don't think I want to say those words, but it does seem like that, doesn't it? Yeah. So, uh, (laughs) uh, no, it it doesn't. No, it doesn't. It doesn't seem like it. No, no. It seems like that's what I'm being. What? What? That's the rabbit hole I'm going down. I don't don't want to. Yeah, I don't think that they did. No, but it just seems like there's no other way than not not other way Bitcoin, but other. There's no other way that civilization could be freed unless it was something like Bitcoin. And I think that they're aware right, of this. But, but why would that be a government created? Why would that be a government created thing then? I'm not necessarily saying it's a government created thing. I'm saying that they're aware of the trajectory that the dollar is on, and that they do support this new. I I I, I don't know which. I don't know. Maybe I'm giving too much credit to the to the governments, but it seems like if I can understand what's going on, they could too. That's just how I look at it. Wicked, you you have your hand up. What's up? Um, I, I, I was just going to ask uh, real quick. So, like, this idea that, um, you know, openly accumulating Bitcoin uh, on a government level or on a state level um, would be uh, um, kind of admitting defeat for the United States. And I don't know if that's necessarily true because, I mean, you think about it, right? Like, the the central bank already stacks gold bars and it's not like there's, you know, it's not like by, by having gold, they're admitting, well, I mean, it's obvious that like the dollars, dollars are not sound money. They're not pretending to be sound money. So I don't, I don't understand why um, holding, you know, sound money, whether it be gold or Bitcoin in your treasury necessarily admits defeat. Cause it's not like that's what the dollar's trying to do. Right. Yeah, it doesn't admit defeat, but it does legitimize it, right? So ever since 1971, when gold was severed from the dollar by Nixon, the objective of central bankers was to delegitimize gold as money 
in the eyes of the world. This is not theory. This is, I mean, there's, there's lots of documentation you can dig up that has been declassified over the years that you can go look this stuff up, just the internal communications between the president and his advisors and the people in the fed and uh, essentially the heads of the ship. Like they intentionally wanted to demonetize gold by delegitimizing it. So if you listen to the testimony of <clears throat> former federal reserve chairman in public, they will never acknowledge that gold has any value. I think we lost you, Alex. Hello, Wicked Tomer, Shane. Yeah, we're still yeah, I think we did. Let, let, let me <clears throat> let me clarify what I was saying then, maybe. So I, I I think, and Lord kind of said this as well last week. I think that at least the United States, not necessarily admitting defeat, but you know they have a stranglehold, right, as the world reserve currency and 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 i think if they were to start accumulating in a big way it would my space has crashed can you guys hear me now yeah we can hear you it would send a signal right and might prematurely um you know bring down the dollar in some in some places kind of like what's happening in el salvador that's kind of what i was trying to say yeah i uh <clears throat> to continue what i was saying i don't think it'll bring down the dollar I think that it would probably accelerate the loss of confidence in the dollar globally. I mean, these things happen very slowly globally. When you have a, a currency that actually goes into collapse, that can happen very quickly. There's a waterfall effect, so to speak. I've seen charts of it. Like if you go back and you look in, uh, at charts of the denarius in Rome, when they were debasing the the silver, the silver content of the of the currency, um, you could just see it over time. You know, slow debasement, slow debasement, slow debasement, and then all of a sudden, it just falls off a cliff and goes straight down. And that is a human behavior effect. That's a psychological event that has nothing to do with the math. And the interesting thing that always I always find this aspect interesting. You hear economists and, and lots of guys even in bitcoin you know guys who are more technical they're into the technical analysis they're into um all the sort of market indicators and readings of the dials of what's happening in the economy it's like look you can maybe track all that stuff until you can't you know those dials are telling you what you think is happening i would suggest that the signal is probably skewed because we have dishonest money and the amount of it that's being created is so crazy that all your traditional sort of indicators, I think are, are pretty, probably pretty broken. And if you rely upon that to fly your plane, that's dangerous in itself. But what you cannot predict is human behavior. And when humans in mass decide to change or they lose confidence in something, it's going to happen very quickly. This is uh, this is observable in nature, by the way. You can. Um, I was watching a documentary the other night where there's flocks of animals, herds of wildebeest, flocks of birds, schools of fish, and <clears throat> they signal to each other. Humans do it too. 
We just don't, you know, we don't have like the biomechanical feedback mechanisms necessarily that animals use, but we're constantly communicating with each other. And when a certain critical mass of human beings starts running for an exit, everybody does. And you can't predict that moment. Uh, one other thing, speaking of what you were saying, Shane, <clears throat> if central banks of the West buy Bitcoin, I, I can almost guarantee you, you will not hear about it until way after the fact. Central banks do things all the time that they don't necessarily disclose. China, for example, was buying gold for its reserves for decades and holding it off balance sheets, so to speak. It would not report it. Uh, as far as the gold that it was buying, and this is kind of—I mean, now if you're if you've been in the gold industry and you you studied this for a while, all this information came out over time. But it, what they weren't disclosing it, and even today they're probably holding a huge chunk of gold off balance sheet that they can add to the balance sheet at any given time. They'll go around. They'll use some other entity like some sovereign wealth fund, or you know, they'll hire some market maker like BlackRock to get into the market for them on their behalf. Welcome and good morning. Worth, Red Canoe, Power. Oh, we lost power. Drop down. Good morning, Alex. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. How are you guys? Awesome. Doing great. Happy to see you guys here. What's up? Uh, just a couple of things that I do want to say, uh, we are on Spotify. So if you guys look in the nest, um, you can subscribe. So if you missed any of this episode or the episodes previously, you guys can go back to that and, and check those out, which is exciting. So thank you guys for all being here every morning and, and participating in the show. Also, uh, Swan Signal Live has some great guests coming up like Matt O'Dell and Jan Pritzker. Um, they're going to be on, I think, tomorrow. Tomorrow at 2 Eastern. So if you're around, check that out. But um, on the Swan YouTube channel, you can see that episode. Also, the Bitcoin conference is coming right around in about, I don't know, three months or something. So if you haven't gotten your ticket, use promo code SWAN. I think you get 10% off. Um, but it's going to be a good time. Partying with Bitcoiners is a great time. You make a lot of friends on Spaces. And you guys talk about a lot of cool things. So meeting in person is a great time. So thanks for hanging out. And um, yeah, guys, what's up? All right, let's start digging into today's topic. So we're going to be talking about what is Bitcoin. I hear this question a lot from a lot of people who are coming to me. I work with Swan Bitcoin as a, I'm a managing director with Swan Private. And so I talk to a lot of people who are brand new to Bitcoin all the time. And um, that question is actually pretty common. You know, we have people that, that just don't even know what it is. So we're going to, we're going to talk about that today. So if you're a speaker up here and uh, you have some thoughts on what Bitcoin is, we'll go through that. If you're in the audience and you're listening, you want to have some questions about what Bitcoin is, you can shoot me a DM. You can come up here and, and talk to us. We'll be kind, I promise, and we'll, we'll try to help you understand. I'd like to kick it off with Tomer. If, you have a, if you're able to talk, Tomer, I'd like to hear what you, your, the way you would describe what is Bitcoin. To a pre-coiner. Um, yeah. Well, before I, I pre before you before you start, I'm going to preface this by saying, Tomer is the Bitcoin shaman. He also he's one of my colleagues at Swan, but he uh, he's very very uh, well studied on Bitcoin. He's been around for a long long time, 
And uh, he he has ways of speaking and writing about Bitcoin that are very unique. So please, Tomer, go ahead. So um, I, I'll give you a quick summary. And a lot of this would, of course, if I'm speaking to someone, involve question and answer rather than just me talking in order. But since I don't have someone here asking questions, uh, I, the first thing I would say is like, oh, sorry, are you having trouble hearing me? Yeah, we can hear you. I was going to oh, say, okay. would it help you, would it help you to role play? I can I can pretend I'm I'm asking you questions. Uh, maybe maybe let me uh, package up. I, there's a few things that I really like to begin with. The first is just a very high level explanation of why Bitcoin even exists, and without explaining all of the complications of sound money and everything, just to say, Bitcoin exists so that everyone in the world can have reliable money without needing the permission of their government, without it being corruptible, without it being seizable, stealable, and taxable at the front end. It's just this idea that everyone in the world should have and use the same money. That's a very complicated invention to bring that to the world, but that's why it exists. And that just puts a level setting of, okay, well, before we start getting into talking about how much money I can make or lose or what money is or isn't, this is why does this thing exist? And then the second thing I always like to tell people is, get ready, was when we talk about this, Bitcoin is not like anything you've ever seen before. It's not a company. It's not issued by a government. There's nobody in charge of it. It doesn't have any employees. It's not a business. It's a self-sustaining process that people contribute to. So I, I think that those all burst in. Um, are you guys able to hear me? Sorry, my, my phone rang and that, that always, for whatever reason, interrupts uh, Twitter spaces. So I begin by, I begin with, like, why does this thing exist? Very simple. And, it, and it's not like anything else you've seen before. It's not a charity. It's not, it's not an organization. Like it doesn't, it's not legally constituted anywhere in the world. So you have to clear your mind of those things because many people come And they, and right off the bat, they're they're on the wrong page. Or should I buy shares in cryptocurrency? And then they are talking about things that are like things they've seen before. So I try to point out also that Bitcoin is unique amongst all these things that you've heard of in this space. And then and then I think that there's a bunch of different directions to go in because people have lots of different questions about Bitcoin. They want to know why is it so volatile. And to that, I often answer it's actually extremely stable. It's the rest of our economy that's very volatile. Um, they want to know if they should buy some. Of course, that's a that's a very big question. And 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 you need to take them through understanding what the benefits of owning it are for them potentially, because there can be different. There can be very different ones, right? Some people are just in it to watch their net worth rise potentially quickly with a small amount of their income. Some people are actually concerned about protecting and. Their savings, and so I, I often end up in a discussion around why Bitcoin is the best way to save money for the long term, and uh, and th then there's lots of people who want to ask questions about its energy usage. Is it they want to be good citizens? Is it is it harmful to our environment? And I, I think there's a lot of there's a lot more compelling arguments now as to why it's actually beneficial to our environment and our energy abundance as a species and as a civilization that can live in a sustainable way rather than being harmful. And, uh, and, and that's, that's probably enough for a beginner. You know, most of the beginner conversations end up in the, what is it? 
why is it why might it be money what's special about it all this stuff about not needing permission to use it nobody in the world needing permission to use it anyone being able to use it nobody being able to stop anybody from using it the rules being fair and equal for everybody including people who get to make rules in our civilization so i, I think those are the really important pieces i i will um it's it's a little early to do it but i i i i got started writing by writing this series of short articles that cover a lot of these topics called why bitcoin series and you you can get the original version at swanbitcoin.com slash whybitcoin, free download of a PDF. But I'm actually reorganizing, reordering, and rewriting that whole collection um, into this logical format that I just described. And hopefully by the end of, uh, let's say by the end of the first week in February, I'll be able to um, sh share lots of pictures of it and maybe start taking orders for it. It's going to be like a 40-page or 64-page color photo book with every one of these 26 articles occupying a two-page color spread in it um but that's too early to plug right now because it doesn't exist yet or it's not finished yet. outstanding however in the interim you can go to swanbitcoin.com slash whybitcoin did i get that url correct tomer yeah, yeah, and there's a okay. free download of a PDF version of the original articles in the original order that they came in. And if you prefer audiobook, if you go to bitcoinaudible.com slash audiobooks, you can download a free copy of uh, Guy Swan reading the whole thing. Pay what you want, including pay nothing. It's all available. And I got it up in the nest for anybody who needs a quick link to it. Click it right up there and you got it. Well, let's continue through the panel. If you have, if someone someone were to ask you what is Bitcoin, what would you say to them? And then we'll start addressing some of the questions from the audience. We're starting to get them in DMs, etc. I think one of the important properties that uh, Tomer kind of touched on a little bit, but just to expand a little bit for people who are, you know, not owners of Bitcoin currently, um, and maybe this helps people um, who want to share about Bitcoin but it's hard capped at 21 million. And so, you know, when you look at that against fiat currencies, which are, you know, issued by um, mandate really, um, they, they can print as much money as they want. And so, you know, I don't, I don't always like tying Bitcoin only to inflation, but it is a big part of it. And so I think it's important for people to understand, you know, there is this problem that fiat currencies represent for all of us, which is, you know, it, your, your value or what you hold, what you store, a solution to that because uh, there's a known issuance, uh, a known minting. And uh, we can get into, you know, all the technicals on that, but simply put, um, it's fixed, uh, which is different than what everyone's used to. And that is a great property of Bitcoin. Let's dig into that a little bit so we can get some context on that. Why is that a good thing? Why is it a good thing that it's a limited supply versus an unlimited supply? That's directed to you, blood. <laughs> oh, I, I was, I was going to take it if you wanted me. Let's think about where else we use units. We, we use units to measure length, like an inch or a foot or a meter. 
depending on where you are. We use units to measure temperature, like degrees centigrade or Fahrenheit. We use units to measure time, like seconds. And all of these things are fixed. They don't change. A meter remains a meter. A second remains a second. Uh, degree Fahrenheit remains a degree Fahrenheit. Uh, and we use money to sh measure value. And the problem that we have is when the money's down and fluctuating, you know how big a unit is. Uh, you know, a dollar is not the same dollar that it was a month ago because there's 30% more dollars now because of some printing campaign or something else. And so the fact that we don't know how many of these things exist, make it hard to use as a unit. We've always been constrained this way in the, in the economic realm. We just don't know how many units exist. And so it's hard to do calculations and we don't know the rate of change of the units even. So it makes it harder to compare things. But that's what we use units for, right? We use units to compare the length of two things. We say the length of this statue as compared to the length of that person. We don't just do a ratio. We say that statue's 500 feet and this person's seven feet. That's just a tall person, six feet, let's say, still a tall person, right? And so we, we don't say that statue is 14 and a half of this person tall, and that person is six and a half shoes tall, and because it doesn't make sense. We need, we need units. When we have a fixed unit of account that everybody in the world actually knows its supply, and, it, and that supply is unchanging, it becomes a standard. And so we finally are going to have a unit of account that is also a standard uh, unchanging unit. And that's very useful because if you think about it, the only reason your automobile works is because those standards and measurements work and build the engines to precise specifications based off of precise unit expectations of exploding certain units of volumes of gasoline with certain units of volumes of oxygen. That's what we need to engineer and have efficiently running machines. So I'm going a little long on this, but this is the most important innovation that Bitcoin brings in terms of money being a unit of account. And it's the first time in all of history that we actually have a reliable unit of account. Now, Bitcoin hasn't been adopted as a unit of account by the whole world yet. So it's kind of like the metric system when people were still thinking it up. But uh, that caught on after a little while itself. Outstanding. That is a great explanation. Um, a quick little analogy and we'll go to wicked so imagine if you were building a house and you're a carpenter and you pull out your slide rule and you know one day the inch is an inch but the next day the inch is not quite an inch maybe it's a little more than an inch or it's an under an inch Can you imagine how messed up your house would be when you completed it it would definitely be an unstable structure and we're essentially building an unstable financial system on top of units that are constantly being manipulated and debased. Uh, we're going to go to Wicked. I have thrown out invites to Shane, Hazel in the audience, Lawrence and Tao and Take the Ride. You guys are all welcome to come up. By the way, my colleague Dave Song is in the audience. You're welcome to come up too. Wicked, what are you thinking? How would you, how would you explain that? So whenever I talk to people about Bitcoin, um, and obviously it depends on who they are, but most people at least. I start by just saying that Bitcoin is the best form of money we've ever invented. Um, and and I, I also you know, usually talk about this property of it being absolutely scarce, which is what we've been talking about for the, for the, for the past few minutes. 
um, this this hard cap, right? And this is a property which I believe was discovered. I think that absolute scarcity is um, it's something that that we haven't really ever seen before, at least in the form of money, right? Gold, um, you know. Although absolutely scarce in the amount of gold in the world, we'll never actually mine all of that gold. And so, you know, from a from like a, a, a civilization perspective, gold always has some inflationary rate, right? We're always going to be able to mine more gold from the ground, from the ocean, from asteroids in the future. And so it is in that sense, not fixed, right? But Bitcoin is the first form of money which is truly truly fixed in its supply. It's absolutely scarce, like Leonardo da Vinci paintings, right? There's only a certain amount in existence. But unlike da Vinci paintings, we know the exact amount that will ever be in existence, right? We don't know if there's a a storeroom with a dozen more da Vinci paintings. But with Bitcoin, we know the exact amount and the issuance rate that they'll come out and they'll be released for us to purchase and to trade with. And I think, um, you know, we're, we're, we're talking about, you know, we're talking about absolute scarcity as if it's something that's far superior and, and and I do believe it is, but the question is why is it superior? Right? I don't know if people really I mean I think intuitively we all grasp it, but maybe we don't think about it explicitly. And it is kind of a difficult question to ask. So maybe I'll ask the panel. Um, why is it better to be absolutely scarce? Why do you think it's better? Wicked, I, I think your explanation is spot on, particularly when it comes to um, paintings and famous works of art, because you can always discover that that, that person painted something else has just been sitting in Mima's basement for, for 60 years or 600 years. Um, and I think there's a difference between absolute scarcity and provably scarce. I think those are, those are mutually exclusive concepts that people often... Um, uh, don't see the distinction. Um, and I think this is the first asset and the first time we've ever had something that is provably scarce. And I'd like to challenge anyone to come up with something else that is provably scarce, because um, I've not been able to, but I'm certainly open to uh, to hearing it. Well, there's only one you. Uh, and that's well, probably is there? Provably. Is there, Tomer? <laughs> yeah, but, 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 but not to not to get all scientific on you, but um, what's a you, right? I mean, if is it your genetic code? Because that can be quite – modern technology can copy that. We're cloning dogs for the cost of 10K. My, my wife's pride and joy, our little Jack Russell died, and, and uh, she, was, she was really grateful that we didn't you know, do something to preserve that dog's legacy. And I'm like, the dog's a dog. We're not going to waste money on that crap. Um, but is a you, you? Well, I, the unique set of experiences that is me, which can't be cloned because the experiences can't be recreated is me. Um, and that's, and that's, that's a one of a kind. Uh, but I, I'm just being cute, of course, right? Because we're not going to use me as money. 
uh, we're not going to divide me up and use me as money. And I, I think that that's, it, it's not just these, and why this gets hard is because you have to hold in mind not just one brand new concept of something that's never existed before, like provable scarcity. You have to hold it in mind with a bunch of other concepts, some of which also have never been um, experienced before by the majority of people, like a fully decentralized system, uh, and some of which you don't think much about, like visibility and fungibility. But it's only because of all of those things working together in harmony that this thing has value. Because if it was just provably scarce, but you couldn't move it and you couldn't divide really be useful as money. It might not be useful at all. Uh, so the provable scarcity. You're in the matrix the again. So very characteristics that I mentioned before. You're, and you're cutting in now. Oh, now, the, the interesting thing is, now. if you're listening and you have the ability to turn on um, subtitles, the CC part, do that. Because interestingly enough, when Tomer's talking, all the words come up intact. It's just we, we lose you on audio occasionally. But you're correct, by the way. Yeah, go ahead. Am I any better now? Uh, so I don't know where I started breaking up, but I, I was just, I was trying to say it's the combination of all of these unique attributes of Bitcoin that make it valuable as money. So it's not, it's not that it needs to be scarce. And that's the only thing it needs to be. And the counter example I was trying to give was if it was provably scarce, but you couldn't move the coins or you couldn't divide them up into lots of little pieces, it wouldn't be good as money because you you want money to be divisible and recombinable and exchangeable and transferable. So it needs those characteristics and those properties too. And if it weren't immalleable and someone could just erase the records and make Bitcoins, still, there's still 21 million of them, but the ones you had have now disappeared and they're now in my pocket. It also wouldn't be very good as money. And so it's, it, Bitcoin is this perfection engineering wise of all of these desirable characteristics we have of money. And it's not, and the same thing people ask about 21 million, it doesn't matter that there were 21 million or 42 million or 165 million, just as much as it doesn't matter if a foot is exactly the length of a foot or if it was 3% longer or 3% shorter. The whole point is that it doesn't change and everybody knows how long it is, right? And, and so it serves, as a, it serves as a unit that everyone agrees on what that unit is and it becomes a, and it becomes a standard. And, and its divisibility is standardized and all these other aspects of it are standardized so that we can actually use it. Uh, properly in, in the way that it's intended to be used. But this is why it's hard. Um, it's, you know, we're talking, that's the topic here is like pre-coiners and people want to come in and they want a simple explanation. What is this product? And it's like, oh, it's not a product. <laughs> oh, well, what's the company? Well, it's not a company. And so, and, and what's money? Oh, so, well, you know, here, here's 300 hours of programming on the history of what is money. And it's, and it's only superficial. So it's, it's, it is hard. I think people need to gradually come in. Interestingly enough, a lot of people say the people who come from parts of the world that have the most unreliable money are the easiest people to explain Bitcoin to because they've seen what the consequences really explicitly of what a bad form of money is. They, they see, they've had their family's net worth um, destroyed maybe numerous times in their lives. So they, they're aware and they're, and they're sensitive to this. For those of us who've never experienced one of these things, we're like, what are you worried about? It's, it's not perfect, but it's fine until it isn't fine anymore. Or why not replace it with something even better? Even if, you know, if that thing is like 10 times better, you might be better off upgrading, just like you did with most other things in your life. 
Okay, so two quick thoughts. Number one, <clears throat> yes, it's the combined effect of all the attributes of Bitcoin that make it better. Interestingly enough, Bitcoin is a new form of money that is in the process of disrupting the largest network affected network effect money in the world, which is the U.S. dollar. And if you listen to Jeff Booth, he basically says that if you're trying to disrupt a incumbent network affected player, someone who has a massive network effect, you have to have something that's 10 times better. So all the various attributes of Bitcoin is what adds up to cumulatively or multiplicatively make it that much better. Uh, to speak very briefly to Jared's point, the the ability to to measure it precisely, I think, is super important because when we're measuring things, the precision with which you measure them allows you to do things better. Over time, our, our human senses are limited. So vision, hearing, et cetera, can only detect certain things. We've developed tools to measure things in our environment that we didn't really even knew exist before. And the more precise your measurements get, the more the better information you get, the better information you get, the better decision-making you can make. Jared, go ahead. Yeah, Tomer, I think you're spot on. I don't think anyone here would disagree with your, your analysis that there are many factors uh, that you described very eloquently that make uh, Bitcoin valuable. Uh, however, I, I think the, the main point I want to, I feel like I'd, I'd love to hear from you about this in particular, considering what you just said. But uh, Bitcoin's value is is a function of its scarcity. And while those other attributes are certainly valuable, Bitcoin loses a gross majority of its value if it's not scarce. And I would supposit and go so far as to say that uh, the main source of Bitcoin's value is, in fact, its scarcity. If it wasn't decentralized but it was still scarce, it would still be valuable. If it wasn't sellable across time and space, it would, and it was still scarce, it would still be tremendously valuable, but just maybe not as much. And so well, I guess the, the I, theory I I'm actually, trying to put forward is that Bitcoin's value is a function of its scarcity primarily. Well, I, I would actually uh, beg to differ because I'd say if Bitcoin, there are many coins that are scarce, uh, but not decentralized, and they are not worth you know, they're 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 trading on the what I would say is the error in those people who are placing any value on them, because a coin that is not decentralized is feasible, is reversible, is forkable, and all and any property rights that you think you may have in holding that coin are only maintained for you at the pleasure of the people who are in control of it. And similarly, you know, imagine if Bitcoin was not divisible uh, or and not even exchangeable. It wouldn't work as money. It would it wouldn't be able to be valued because you wouldn't be able to buy it. You wouldn't be able to sell it. So, like these are extreme examples, but it really is um, the attempt to emphasize one thing and one thing only as more important than all the others when all the others are essential to the functioning and value of the system isn't. Is an oversimplification is is the way that I would point it out, and I would say, like, it, because it leads the, the danger of it, and I don't like the danger of it is it leads people to thinking those things are not important. There's one thing that's most important; the other things are not important. And I, I want to point out the other things are essential. Bitcoin without those things isn't Bitcoin, um, and so and that's why like why do we fight a war over 
maintaining its decentralized status? Why did everyone go crazy if the only thing that mattered was its scarcity and the fork that people were complaining for, were, were itching for, um, wouldn't affect its scarcity? It's because the community knew that it was fundamentally destructive to the entire value proposition of Bitcoin if it weren't able to be as decentralized as possible. So, uh, so I, I do, like, I, of course, when we come to calculating the value of any one particular Bitcoin, we say, okay, well, what's, what's the whole world of value that we're trying to measure in dollars or in, in Bitcoins, and then we can divide it by the number of Bitcoins. But the total value of Bitcoin, whether it was 639,221 Bitcoins, would still be the same aggregate purchasing power. It would just be less per Bitcoin if there were more Bitcoins. But that, but that's not, um, that's not the only issue surrounding the value of, of Bitcoin. And and every one of these really really important things, uh, the, the the manner in which it is created and distributed and secured which is both decentralized and based in effort. Absolutely essential. Like if you if you just print it off, if you, if you pre-printed the entire supply as Ripple did, for example, you will not be, ever achieve any level of decentralization. You're completely centralized. You'll have the SEC suing you, which they do right now, and questioning whether you participate in legal securities offerings. Like the whole thing. Now, I'm going on a rant right now, and I apologize for that. But... Um, it's not only it's not only uh, scarcity that provides Bitcoin with its value. Yeah, I'm, pr I'm pretty sure I, I didn't say that it was the only thing. The main source of Bitcoin's value, all things being equal, is its scarcity. If if everything else remains the same and Bitcoin is not scarce, um, it loses a gross majority of its value. Uh, making a comparison using my statement to altcoins, I think, is uh, is not fair because we're talking about um, all things being equal here. Uh, but yeah, I, I, the point I'm trying to make here is that a function of Bitcoin's value is its scarcity. And without being scarce, you lose a gross majority of its value. There is tremendous value in the other assets and attributes of Bitcoin as well. Uh, but that is a, uh, a, I'm not trying to compare it to altcoins. That's not, that's not no, I know. what I, I'm trying I know. to say. I, I'm the, I'm but the, I take I your meaning and I, I think you're spot on being yeah. that this is pre-coiner friendly. I think what you're saying is probably aimed better at the room than what I'm trying to suggest. Yeah, and I, I'm not. I, I'm in no way suggesting that you were uh, were suggesting that there is value in altcoins. I, I was simply trying to point it out. And I, I think what I talk about it, the essential thing. It's like it's like if we had the conversation in here to say which is the most important organ in the human body, the one that gives it the main function. Some people would argue for the brain. They'd say, "Oh, that's what distinguishes human beings from everything else. It's the most important thing." But we all know, without a heart, you die. Without a liver, you die. Without lungs, you die. They're all essential parts of the human body and every human body uses the overwhelming majority loses the overwhelming majority of its value if any one of those organs is severely damaged let alone removed and i'm saying that i'm saying that the same is true of all of these attributes of bitcoin they're all essential organs to its vitality and value yeah i would just say i mean so to kind of go back to to some of the the language we were using before i would say it's the provable scarcity that makes Bitcoin very valuable. And the, and what makes it provably scarce is the fact that it's decentralized. Because if it wasn't decentralized, then there could be a centralized authority or it could be corrupted in a way to make it so that it, were, it 
it would no longer be scarce. Because, I mean, you can think of <laughs> the dollar, right? I mean, the Fed could come out tomorrow and say, listen, guys, we're not going to print a single dollar ever again. But is that provably scarce? No, because you have to trust them that they won't do it ever again. And, right. you know, we would never trust that. And, and so the and same even, can be said for any other, you know, quote unquote, absolutely right. scarce coin or token that isn't decentralized. You just can't trust it the same way you can trust Bitcoin. And, and what, one other really important point that you just alluded to, Wicked, is it's not just that the current supply is provably scarce. It's the supply into the future is provably scarce, too. Nobody can change the supply of Bitcoin in the future, right? Like the, the government might today say we're stopping to print dollars, but that doesn't mean that tomorrow they won't change their mind. Nobody can change their mind about Bitcoin's issuance policy ever. And so no one could change it in the past and no one will be able to change it in the future either. And that's, that's uh, like a second layer of provability and its scarcity. It's not just I know how much there is right now. I know how much there ever will be and when that amount will always exist. All right, this has been a super fascinating discussion so far. Um, we're going to continue it here just uh, in a minute, but I want to thank all of you all for being here. You're listening to Cafe Bitcoin. Um, we do this every day, Monday through Friday, starting at 7 a.m. Pacific. We're going for about two hours, talk about all things Bitcoin. If you have a question, shoot me a DM, uh, or you can shoot a DM to Stack and Sats up here on the panel as well. And um, we're happy to answer those. If you if you are new to Bitcoin, you want to come up and ask a question, we'd love to have you. Promise we'll be kind and friendly. Um, I know some of these discussions can get a little edgy, and that's okay, because we're here to find the truth, right? Everybody here wants to know the truth. We're not looking necessarily for echo chambers. We want to uh, verify. There's a saying amongst Bitcoiners is uh, verify everything, right? So I want to welcome up Shane Hazel. Good morning, brother. How you doing? Hey, man. It's good talking to you guys. Appreciate all you guys being here. Uh, it's a great discussion. Uh, and I'm not going to discount Jared's point. Um, actually, really, uh, I, I agree with the idea that, uh, you know, I should say the fact that Bitcoin is, uh, you know, valuable because it is scarce. And it is, I think it's exciting, though, um, that it's, you know, scarce, but the saleability of it over time and space is absolutely what gets me excited about what's to come with Bitcoin. I mean, when we're looking at our ability to uh, to use this, you know, across all these imaginary and fictional lines uh, out there on maps to get people to you know trade and barter uh, and use these things as contracts and 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 really you know, knock down the walls of, of all of these, you know, government regulations and, you know, bureaucracy and everything else. You know, there's a, there's a great old uh, saying, uh, and it might be a little bit cliche, but it's from Bastiat um, in the law is when, you know, people move across uh, borders, tanks and armies don't, you know, something to that effect. And, you know, the idea that we can start to begin uh, you know, having these amazing interactions and, and, you know, global remittances done through the Lightning Network on a scale, you know, never heard of that's, you know, takes no third party. Um, we are talking about changing the world exponentially within our lifetimes and seeing people, you know, set free because governments will never be able to, you know, keep up with this kind of innovation. And, you know, where we're sitting at in terms of this layering effect um, I mean, just, you know, lightning on top of everything else in terms of contracts that are coming through uh, Bitcoin and, and, you know, the social medias that are going to pop up for 
this type of stuff where it can't be, uh, you know, extinguished, man. I am, I'm absolutely, you know, I don't know, just giddy about this prospect and, and, you know, helping people understand, you know, from a, a very Austrian type of background in economics that this, this is the future of humans. And it's, you know, it's mostly based in volunteerism. It's, it's absolutely the, the coolest thing to be a part of. What's on your mind, Shane? Hey, I just kind of wanted to pile on with what the other Shane was saying. <laughs> we got two Shanes today. Is that, um, you know, because it is a digital asset, you know, it also is exciting to me. Although, you know, if we're trying to urge people in America, they may or may not think that this is important to them now. But the fact that you can take your, that it is, you know, the best store of value ever that you can take your wealth with you, right? Wherever you need to go. If you have to leave one country, relocate, go to another, your, your wealth, you know, is, is traveling with you. And that's, that's very empowering in my opinion. Good morning. Take the ride. What do you got for us this morning, brother? I have no idea what that was. Take the ride. It was encrypted message traffic, clearly. We need the decoder ring on the other end, though. Take the ride. Your uh, connection's not so hot. All right, before we move to the next question, does anybody have anything else? If someone were to ask you what is Bitcoin, what would be your response? Good morning, Lawrence. I got you, Lawrence. I don't know. Unmute yourself. Hit it. Oh, that was me. I had everybody muted. Still, yes, my Jacob bad. Has my... To, <laughs> Jacob has to set us free first. <laughs> Sorry, my man. All right, all you. Oh, <laughs> uh, good morning. Not... Um, yeah, really quickly, I wanted to share. Um, you know, like you said, if somebody asks you what Bitcoin is, um, I'm going to attempt to descend the ivory tower for a second here, and I'm going to share the template that I use. And um, this will kind of read like advice, but it's what I do. Uh, first thing, adult learners, right? We're typically talking to adults and usually adults, let's be honest, they got a lot going on in their lives. They don't give a crap what you're talking about unless it's something that either one affects their life immediately or two, something they can implement immediately. If it doesn't meet those conditions, they got other priorities on their brain. They really don't care what you're saying. So the, the, the method that I use to instruct people both professionally and personally, uh, is an acronym that I use. I call it PI. So uh, the, the letters there stand for perspective, intention, and execution. So every time I share a new idea with somebody, I'm first going to give them perspective on it so they can see what it is and kind of understand it. Then I give them the intention. What are they supposed to do with the information I gave them and the tool that I'm introducing? And then finally, I tell them how to execute on it. So as it relates to Bitcoin, the perspective would be talking about money, why the money's broken, why the money needs to be fixed. And then I start to introduce why there needs to be a parallel system built next to it, you know, in very simple terms. Choose your things that you insert to make that point here. Then when it comes to intention, we talk about the fact that we need to try to remove the human factor or the corruptibility from the money system. So then we start to shape the intention there to make the, help them understand why the properties that Bitcoin has and holds are absolutely necessary, which you guys just talked about those at length. So 
we kind of know what those are. I do not need to repeat them. And then finally, you move toward execution. What do I do? How do I use this tool to improve my life? And that's when you're talking about how you're buying and holding and storing and self-custodying your Bitcoin to help them understand how you get the maximum value out of it. You know, explaining to people that it's best used currently as a long-term store of value or to hold your money to move it forward in time and space. So that's typically the method that I use. And I find that to be replicable because if I can remember those three steps, perspective, uh, intention and execution, I can shape my argument different every time. But I'll make sure I hit, in my opinion, all the major steps to get someone to understand and actually feel like they can do something with it. Because, again, I'll close here with adult learners. They have so much stuff going on in their lives. If they can't see the end of the road, if they don't have some kind of map in their mind to move from the destination that they're at to where, uh, excuse me, from the place that they're at to the destination they want to arrive, they just won't move because they can't see it and they can't understand it. Wow, that's pretty concise. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that. Lawrence is a uh, clearly a precision operator. Clear objective in mind. Attack. I love it. I want to welcome up Jace. I don't think we've had you up here before. Good morning, Jace. How are you doing? You have a question or something you want to add to the conversation? I actually have no idea how I got pulled up here. I may have bumped a button. I'm actually driving right now. So (laughs) awesome. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Good to hear. Good good morning, guys. Thanks for being here. Don't crash. Take the ride. You still have uh, encrypted comms, man. You may have to reconnect. I'm going to bump you off the stage till you rectify that. No, tell him he's supposed to talk through Twitter, not his not his node. Okay, he's trying to communicate through his full node right now. All right, so I have a question from the audience. Uh, moving on a little bit. Different subject. This is coming from Node0x0. He says, hey, Alex, I'm having trouble orange pilling my wife. She's very hesitant and keeps saying it's already appreciated too much, and she's afraid she'll lose a large chunk of her savings. Any thoughts or resources to help? Let's see some hands. Who wants to tackle this? Tomer, go ahead. Um, This is very common. (laughs) There's a few wonderful um, memes to share with somebody that you can get the message across quick. And Jacob, maybe you can dig some of these up. There's, of course, this uh, wonderful short video of a guy saying you should never buy Bitcoin because it's always going to crash. You know, here's one time it went from six cents to a dollar and then crashed all the way back down to 15 cents. And then this other time it went from two dollars all the way up to 50 dollars and then crashed all the way back to 30 dollars. And then this one time it went all the way up to twenty thousand dollars and crashed all the way down to five thousand dollars. And the point being, of course. Of course, he he never lets on. He just says, that's why you should never buy Bitcoin because it's always going to crash. But the whole point is the longer you hold on to it, the more your value appreciates. There's also another really excellent tweet. And I can't remember. It's again, it's someone lamenting. He says, I wish I hadn't sold my thousand Bitcoin for uh, 28 cents uh, after I bought in for seven cents because now it's $1.25. Can you imagine if he had even held past the $1.25 point to to today's uh, disappointing 40,000 and change uh, change price. Bitcoin's just this asset that because it's still in the phase of becoming monetized and becoming adopted, uh, it, its potential value as it does all of that is 
is so much stratospherically higher than its current purchasing power, uh, which is why so many people want to hold on to it so tight and why so many of the memes in the community about having diamond hands and and not capitulating and not gambling it away and not over leveraging yourself. So I think I think what you could be telling someone who's concerned about the price going down is to say, stop looking at the price. This is something for 10 years, you know, at a minimum, it's something that you're trying to buy for five years. It's not a short term gain or, or loss. It may feel like you've had all these short term gains. You don't you ain't seen nothing yet. Uh, set it aside and let's not talk about it for a little while unless what you want to talk about is buying more. Outstanding. I'm going to add something to that real quick and then we're going to go with Peter and Wicked and Worth. Um, very briefly, if you're afraid of losing too much, don't in, don't put too much into it. Do $10, $20, $50. Do some amount that you don't really even care if you lose it and then uh, just start your journey of learning from there. That would be uh, the first thing. The second thing is that that number, um, it you know, it's appreciated too much. This is basically unit cost bias. So in other words, because one Bitcoin is 40000 or $50,000, people assume that the opportunity is gone. There is no opportunity. We need to, as Bitcoiners, start talking about Satoshis a lot more, in my opinion, because it breaks down the cost unit bias. You can buy something like 2,000 Satoshis for a buck. And uh, you could be a satillionaire without uh, putting a lot of U.S. dollars at risk. So, Peter, go ahead. Good morning, by the way. Uh, good morning. Hey, real quick, I wanted to uh, just touch on the, the last issue real quick. I have a really super simple answer to what uh, um, what is Bitcoin. And um, I just say, hey, do you think you can walk into a bank and withdraw $100,000 with a no questions asked? Bitcoin cures this. Um, and as far as this question goes, I would say to this person, everything you currently own is either losing money or is either losing value or you are at risk. You're putting your value at risk and you have the potential of losing value. So not investing some of your assets, at least in Bitcoin, is a higher risk for losing value than investing in it. Very good. Wicked, what do you think? Um, yeah, so I, I was going to say, I mean, this is, I think this is something that's important to talk about uh, when you're when you're speaking to a pre-coiner, um, because a lot of people, you know, they they see Bitcoin still as, um, you know, maybe this risky investment where you might make a lot of money really quick, but you also might lose a lot of money if you time it poorly. And I think it's it's important to be honest um, and tell people that in the short term. The volatility is, you know, it's incredibly unpredictable. You you may lose 50%, 60%, 70% of your initial investment. But Bitcoin isn't a short-term play, right? Bitcoin is a long-term store of value. Um, and if you hold your Bitcoin for, a, for, a, for a, a, a decent amount of time, like a minimum of four to five years, but really you should be holding it for your whole life, <laughs> holding it as long as you can, um, that's where you're going to start to see these, these multiple effects 
where Bitcoin goes up in value by you know multiples of five, ten, twenty, a hundred. Okay, and like Tomer was saying, the the total addressable market cap of Bitcoin is, I believe, it's the value of everything in the world. I think that eventually, the value of all things will be priced in terms of Bitcoin, and so that means that everything there is, all assets, all capital goods, all the value will be represented by 21 million Bitcoin. And if that's your baseline, then that, you know, that could conceivably make a Bitcoin worth in today's dollar terms, tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of dollars, right? Uh, obviously, by that point, there won't be dollars anymore. <laughs> It'll just be Bitcoin. But that's what, we're, that's what we're aiming for, right? We're aiming for that end goal. And that's going to take time. It's going to take years, maybe decades. So if you are scared of the short-term volatility, then you need to expand your time horizon and you need to have a lower time preference. And you need to treat this as an extremely long-term investment, not a get-rich-quick scheme. Worth you're up, brother. Hey, Alex, just, uh, I've just been listening and enjoying all the uh, commentary by everybody on space. Um, just sitting here looking at the title, you know, what's Bitcoin? Um, you know, and I, I think that's a great title and it's, you know, it's a, it's a subject that we can spend this whole week together on this space analyzing. But I like to step back sometimes and when I'm talking to someone, about Bitcoin. And I like to go back to where I was when I started, which was, <clears throat> you know, I knew little of nothing. People were speaking a foreign language that I really didn't understand. Um, I was intrigued because I had the background uh, to certainly understand monetary policy and investing and everything like that. But uh, just to step back, you know, it's the question that we always has to, have to ask ourselves about, you know, anything that you know, we give time and space to in our life. And it's, what does it do for me? You know, and I, I think that's, that's the first question we have to address with, you know, newcomers into this community is, you know, be able to answer, answer in, you know, in very layman terms, what it does for them. And I also like to think about the agnostic individual those that really maybe don't even care about monetary policy. I know that's hard for anyone here to believe, but you know, how do you explain this to someone that, uh, sorry, I have a, I have a, I have a, I have a lab in the background uh, coughing. Um, uh, so how do you explain this to someone that's, that's fairly agnostic about just say politics or say government or say central banks and so it just really gets back to what does it do for them? Well, just simply it gives them, you know, a, you know, allows them to store their savings digitally uh, uh, and allows them to have, you know, a savings technology that has had a better historical appreciation and value than any asset in history. Uh, and it also protects their savings, you know, from uh, being, uh, devalued by 
any governments, but it, it also allows them to transact value, you know, across, across time and space with, you know, from a peer-to-peer standpoint, business-to-business standpoint, peer-to-business, business-to-peer, in just seconds, anywhere around the globe. Um, and so basically, this is, you know, in my mind, um, you know, Bitcoin is, you know, the new standard monetary language um, that we will be using for the future. Um you know, and I do ask myself, are we doing Bitcoin a disservice that we were always talking about the we lead a lot of times with the return potential, you know, what Bitcoin has done, how it's appreciated versus just, you know, really, you know, creating notoriety to a newcomer uh, for the, you know, how it is useful in their life. And so. You know, I think that's where I got when I started. I wanted to I wanted to know what it did for me, you know, and it provided me a store of value that that I liked better than anything else. And it gave me an optionality to transact value uh, with others. And it also um, allowed me to express my concern over, you know, the devaluation of our currency. Um you know, I like it to all the other technological advances that have come over time, whether it's instruments on airplanes uh, or it's, uh, you know, lasers to shoot grades or it's, you know, the Internet to connect us around the world. Well, this is the money that will connect us around the world. So, you know, I'll stop there. But I think very simply, it's just the new monetary language and we need to try to share with others how it benefits them and what does it actually do for them outstanding i agree 100 it's better money uh okay got another question this is coming from a dm this is from cruise control she says my name is carolina my question is please elaborate on the difference between private and public keys and can you move your bitcoin from a retail platform to yourself if so how? Thank you in advance, Carolina. All right. I'm happy to dive in. I'm going to speak up a little bit. Someone uh, suggested my voice was a little too quiet. Um, the difference between a private and a public key is, first of all, they're both very big numbers, and the public key is a number that's derived from your private key. So a private key... Um, is a totally randomly, pseudo-randomly generated number. You want to create it with as much entropy as possible. Your system will do that for you in most cases. And then uh, there's a deterministic public key that corresponds to it that you can calculate. And the beauty of the system is nobody can who has your public key can actually reverse the function and figure out what your private key is. Um, so when if you and only you know what your private key is, you can generate a public key from it, and you can share that public key with as many people in the world as you want. None of them will be able to figure out your private key uh, with it. Um, the private, the public key is then used as an address. Uh, it, it's used to create addresses. Uh, in Bitcoin, Bitcoin addresses aren't exactly private keys. They're hashes of public keys, but you don't really need to concern yourself too much with that. Anytime that you actually spend Bitcoin, what you do is you, uh, you digitally sign a message that says, 
on spending the coins at this address to that address, and you sign it with the private key. And there's an algorithm that people can use to determine whether the public key that you've disclosed in your transaction correspond with, that matches the address that you're spending from corresponds to the private key without ever revealing the private key. There's another one of these wonderful functions in math, in cryptography that you can prove that you own the private key and have used it to sign a particular message without ever disclosing the private key, but only disclosing the public key. So this is this is the difference between the two things. It's it's like it's it's hard to describe exactly what it's like. It's like your DNA is your private key. Nobody can really see, assuming nobody can see your DNA. Forget the fact that people can sample it. Uh, and your body, your is your public key. Everyone can see uh, your public key, but just by looking at your body, they can't necessarily discern everything about your DNA. And that is um, and that's that's not a perfect analogy, but it's, it's maybe useful for from a beginner perspective. Uh, so that is, um, that's the difference between a private and a public key. The private keys are what allow you to spend uh, Bitcoins. Uh, the public keys are what allow you to create the addresses for for them. And uh, and that's the majority of what you need to know. Uh, overwhelmingly, most of the places that let you purchase Bitcoin do let you withdraw it to your own custody, to an address that you have created from a private key that you possess. And, it, and you should learn how to properly custody and keep safe your bitcoins but you can absolutely take possession of them which i think was the second part of your question if i've forgotten a part of it uh alex correct me and uh i'll tackle the rest of it or you can leave it to someone else to do that. yeah so there's so the second part of the question is uh can you move your bitcoin from retail platform to your yourself if so how by the way i want to remind everybody that Try to use terminology as much as possible that someone who knows nothing about Bitcoin can understand. We need to draw analogies that will be points of reference that they can understand from regular sort of language as if they know nothing about Bitcoin. Because these people, some of them know nothing about Bitcoin, just like we all did at some point. Right. So let's keep them super basic. Shane, what do you think? Yeah, I'll answer that second question from our perspective. And, and maybe this person can relate depending on how knew they are to Bitcoin. I wasn't originally Bitcoin only. And so I ended up buying, you know, coins and, and, and Bitcoin on an, on a platform that was, that ultimately charges you. Um, when you take, you know, Bitcoin in this case off of the platform. And as I did begin to start wanting to self custody my Bitcoin, I honestly realized for the first time, you know, I'm going to have to pay not only the on-chain, right? There isn't an on-chain fee that you have to pay to move um, your Bitcoin on the on the uh, Bitcoin network into your own um, self-custody. But so pick a platform, I would say, obviously, that does not charge you anything. As, well, they don't charge you anything, and the only thing you're paying is the network fee. So um, I assume when you that when you say you want to move it from a retail platform to your own custody, I also highly suggest that you go with um, a signing device or what's called a hardware wallet. And there are a number of them. I won't even talk, I guess, about which ones they are. I have my own preferences and tweet about that quite a bit. But, um, you know, yeah, I, I certainly suggest that. But if you're absolutely brand new to that, take it in small steps, move, you know, a very small 
amount from that retail platform, which whichever one it is, to either your whether it's a software wallet on your phone, preferably a hardware wallet, a device. Um, you're not moving it actually to that device. I want to be clear as well. Shane. Yeah. You you're you're all you're all Bitcoiner terminology, man. If I was brand new, you would have lost me like right. ages ago. <laughs> You've been a Bitcoiner too long, Shane. <laughs> Sorry. Someone else can try. <laughs> All right. I'm sorry to interrupt you, brother. Uh, Lawrence, let's go to you. Yeah, very quickly for your uh, listener there, Alex, I would say that uh, platforms allow you to move your Bitcoin, most importantly, in its Bitcoin form. Uh, when you look on the platform, what you'll find is there'll be an option to transfer your Bitcoin to an outside or external Bitcoin address. The thing that I would caution you against, though, is that a lot of the retail places where the average person would buy Bitcoin, typically don't allow you to move Bitcoin in its Bitcoin form. They'll require you to make a sale and turn it back into, in this case, US dollars before you move it. A few of the popular platforms that do not allow you to move Bitcoin in its Bitcoin form are places like SoFi, Webull, um, Robinhood, and, uh, and like Venmo or PayPal. So you can make purchases there. But when you do that, you're only getting exposure to Bitcoin's price action. You're not getting actual Bitcoin in its Bitcoin form. So the most important thing is to make sure that you are making your purchases in a location that allows you to move Bitcoin in its Bitcoin form, uh, uh, generating for you a public address, as Tomer talked about, with all those letters and, uh, and characters, uh, so that um, you can move it in its actual Bitcoin form to a wallet that you control. I want to make it easy for you too, and and say that you can do that with Swan. Swan is super simple. Yes, I work with Swan, so I'm a little bit biased. But if you go to if just ask around the industry, ask people like, what is the simplest way to buy some Bitcoin where I can like remove it and keep it myself? Swan is super easy. We have one of the easiest interfaces in the industry. Peter, what do you think about this topic? So I, I really like Tomer's. Um uh, description of you know your body and DNA. I thought that was a that was pretty good. Um, I, I'm not sure you know how much one needs to actually know about public keys versus private keys to start. Um, it is important eventually, and it's something that uh, people generally learn as they as they move along in this spectrum. I think another way to describe it is you have a um, you have two keys for your car. Um, one is the, the guy that parks your car. He gets the key that only starts the car, but can't get into the uh, glove box, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then you have, that would be your public key. And then your private key would be the key that allows you uh, to get into uh, your glove box uh, or all the, all the parts of your car. Um, and then as far as, as moving, um, I think Lawrence's explanation of moving uh, Bitcoin off an exchange was was excellent. Uh, the only thing I would add to that is, if you are a beginner and you as you start this process, just go slow. It's it's okay to leave your your Bitcoin on an exchange until you're comfortable with with how to move it off. Go slow. Use small amounts. Listen in these spaces. Ask questions. There's lots of people that will be really, really pleased to help you and um, we'll be happy to help you. And uh, that's how I think, that's how I learned. I think that's how many people in these spaces learned 
was by asking questions and, and getting help from uh, Bitcoin Maxis who are here to help you do those things. Yeah, that's really good. Also, uh, in, in addition to what, what Peter was just saying, like you can DM, follow and DM the people on the stage if you want to. You can DM me. You have permission to DM me. I know Terrence is happy to take a DM from you, Jacob. Um, you know, we're all happy to help you. There's another guy in the audience who, Tao, I threw you an invite a while ago if you want to come up. But look at look for Tao in the audience. This guy um, regularly helps brand new Bitcoiners. Uh, shoot him, throw him a follow and shoot him a DM. He does spaces where he just kind of like one-on-one -on -one walks you through brand new Bitcoin stuff. So he's a great resource as well. I uh, would like to welcome Dennis Porter to the stage. Good morning. How you doing, brother? Good morning. Uh, I, you guys always do these things so early. I, I love it, but I, I wish I could be here uh, super early with you guys. Um, but yeah, pumped to be here uh, for the tail end of it. I, I try to make the tail end when I can. Uh, how's everyone doing today? Doing great. We, 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 I can give you a wake-up call in the mornings if you need that. <laughs> That'd be excellent. Your voice waking me up every morning would be a dream come true. We need to uh, think about a patent, the Tomer alarm clock. It'll just drop some Bitcoin wisdom on you as you wake up. Tomer gets up really early. He's up earlier than I am. He's up at like 5 a.m. Pacific, I think. Just get like your Siri or whatever to have like the Tomer voice on it. They're pretty sweet. So I'll invest. Up, I'll invest. I'll throw all my money at it. Oh, not much. Um, but everything all at the same time, I guess. Not nothing much this morning. Uh, what's, what's the latest? What is the latest? Oh, did you guys see that a uh, cash app's going to unlock lightning payments for all us customers? That's pretty cool. I'm pretty pumped about that. Probably nothing. <laughs> and like some crypto exchange bought a bank, you know, probably nothing there either. I know Intel like just announced that they're going to be manufacturing ASICs for Bitcoin mining. Probably nothing. And Intel did? I didn't see that one. Yeah. I hope they come to Oregon. Um, we've had Intel plants here before, but it's been a while since we've had a new one. Luckily, we have Ron Wyden, who is on the, like a, I think it's a nationwide task force to bring semiconductor, semiconductor manufacturing to the United States. So I'm really hoping he uh, brings it to Oregon. And then we could do... We could do Bitcoin mining and do energy creation all in the same place with the chip manufacturing and be like vertically integrated. I'm really looking forward to it. Super important topic that not too many people, I, I don't hear too many people talking about it, but but it's basically a strategic resource. The ability to fabricate chips right now is super Super important because if China decides that Taiwan is it's it 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 owns Taiwan and they invade Taiwan, well, that's going to have a massive massive impact not just on industry but on national defense as well. Go ahead, Tomer. Okay, the hardest question a a newcomer pre-coiner can ask about Bitcoin is what is this thing called mining and. Um, 
you know, we've been talking about how to answer those questions. So I would, I, I would actually advise people if you're dealing with someone who's new to Bitcoin and they ask, um, what is mining? That's a very, very, very hard question to answer. It's a, it's filled with nuance and it does require, um, getting a technical understanding of things to have any kind of remotely accurate understanding of it. And so, uh, the, the best answer to that is this is something that takes a lot of time to explain. You, you have to be really interested and there's a number of things you have to learn first. Uh, so there's, there's no easy explanation. Uh, the easiest explanation you can offer is to say it takes work to create Bitcoin, unlike dollars. And mining is the process of doing that work. But that's all I can tell you because it gets really, really hard after that. Well, for me... It's, it's my, my simple framework is, is that I used to work in the gold industry. So I think of things from a first principles perspective about sort of energy storage, wealth storage, which is what gold does. Like just first principle stuff. This is easy to explain. Like wealth comes from labor. A human being works, you create value. Um, that value is uh, your, your basic labor is focused on your basic survival, your, your house, your home, your, a uh, roof over your head, clothes on your back, food to eat, protection from the elements. After that, you can then use your labor in exchange for whatever you're producing. If someone is willing to exchange something of value for that, you want to store that at that point in money, right? That's where gold comes into play. Why is gold able to store value? I would suggest because it takes energy to get gold out of the ground. If you rewind the clock far enough, it's one dude with a pick climbing into a cave, hacking on the walls. It's a lot of human energy to get one ounce of gold out of the ground. Nowadays, it's still energy. The largest cost input to gold mining activities is energy, fuel for those gigantic trucks that are going down into those holes in the ground and scooping up tons and tons and tons of rocks to get literally grams per ton of gold out of the ground. It's all energy related. So Bitcoin mining is no different. It's an energy input and it's got a store of value output. Go ahead, Shane. So we can go right back to mining if you want. But another thing that I think is, well, I know I'm asked all the time and we talked about this last week and it's an Eric Yakes book, um, Seventh Property, or he talks about it is this concept of, you know, people asking, well, what is Bitcoin backed by? I'm, I don't think we have time to talk about it now but that that's another one that i get asked all the time and so i would just say for those that are you know wanting to have answers or have some kind of response if you're going to be trying to orange pill people i think that's a pretty common question that you want to have some uh, perspective on that's actually a good topic to dive into right now unless anybody has anything else to add about this last subject we were talking about what gives Bitcoin value is part of the what is Bitcoin question. That is a, a, a very common question. Why does this thing have value? What's it backed by? We've had this discussion on occasion uh, in this space over the last couple of weeks. But the reason we keep repeating it, and some people who are Bitcoiners already might come into the space and be like, oh, you guys keep talking about the same stuff. Yeah, we do. Why? Because our objective is not to entertain Bitcoiners. Our objective is to orange pill 7 billion people, which means we need to take these topics and speak about them over and over and over and over again. That's the mission here. So if you are a Bitcoiner and you hang out in this space, on occasion, 
you're going to catch cool information, sure. But keep in mind that we want to orange pill everybody. And it's in everybody's, who's a Bitcoiner? It's in everybody's best interest that, that we continue to do that. So does anybody up here want to take a stab at that? What, what gives Bitcoin its value? What is it backed by, maybe? The froze. See the things not moving. We we can hear you, Lawrence. Oh, you can. Yeah, my, my screen is. My... <laughs> You're good, man. You still there? I think Lawrence is going through the uh, the uh, Twitter Spaces. I pressed the unmute button, but it didn't really, and then it did. Thing. Go ahead, Tomer. So, was the question what is what is Bitcoin backed by? Yeah, what gives Bitcoin value? Why is it valuable? Like, I hear this all the time. Like, it's intangible. I hear people say, well, it's intangible. It can't be worth anything. Oh, boy. This, um, it, it's easy to answer what it's backed by, which is it stands on its own. It doesn't need to be backed by anything else. A, a piece of paper that says it's worth some, some money that anybody you know, could have printed without any effort needs to be backed by something um, and historically has been. Uh, but gold didn't need to be backed by anything. It, it, its value came from its desirability to demand for it and its scarcity and difficulty in producing it. And so people were able to use it as, as money. It had other nice properties like that it didn't tarnish and that it lasted a very long time and that you could make different denominations of it into coins so that people could have units by which to um, to exchange it. And Bitcoin has very similar properties, except they're not physical, they're digital, uh, these properties. It's it's not just scarce like gold, it's furable, it's co nearly costless uh, to transfer it in different techniques. It's quick to transfer anywhere else in, in, in the world. It's unseizable, right? it can't be taken from you by force, even the most powerful army in the world can't move Bitcoins, uh, only the person who knows this thing we talked about before called the private key can actually move and spend bitcoins so it's very very secure and as you go down the list of all of these incredible attributes you realize this, this is the most exchangeable good exchangeable thing that has ever existed in human history and what do we look for in something called money it's something if you think about it, money is money is a very unusual good most goods you purchase uh, you obtain them so that you can consume them, you can use them, you can live in a house, you can eat a pizza, you can drive a car, um, and in so doing, you you consume them, right? You're, you're the consumer. Uh, but money is the good that you try to obtain only not because you wish to consume it, because you can't consume money. It's the good you wish to exchange for consumables, for things you want to consume. And so the best money is the thing that is the most exchangeable thing that we can come up with. And Bitcoin happens to be perfectly engineered to be the most exchangeable thing we've ever we've ever experienced as a, as a species. And it's very, very hard, if, if, if not impossible, to improve upon it. And so this is where its value comes from. We, as human beings in a civilization, need something called money so that we can exchange what we make for what others want. And we don't want necessarily what it is that they make. So they give us something that we can then use to exchange for what other people make that we want. And that's the cascade. That's the way that money flows. Money flows in one direction and the products of people's efforts flow in the other direction. That's what the whole economy is about. Uh, and we just want to exchange our money with one another. We want someone who gave me money 
for what I could produce. I want to be able to hold on to that so that I can exchange it for something that somebody else made later on. Bitcoin's the perfect exchangeable good uh, service, digital invention, whatever, however, whatever noun you want to put onto it. It's perfectly exchangeable, and that's what makes it incredibly valuable. Great description. Good morning, Matt. How are you doing? What do you think? Hey, Alex. Hey, everyone. Um, I've heard some great descriptions. For me, I, I try to keep it simple for your brand new pre-coiners. Um, Bitcoin's value is the sheer number of adopters that want to hold their wealth in Bitcoin. It's the sheer. It's that sheer number of people worldwide, which is now. I think the Wall Street Journal estimates 114 million people uh, have decided to hold um, some portion of their wealth um, secured in Bitcoin, and that's 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 its value. As as that adoption rate just keeps growing exponentially over time, it, because you know you could go back to 2009 when Bitcoin was literally just um, two adopters, uh, Satoshi Nakamoto and Hal Finney. And so you could say that Bitcoin had very little value in that first day, that first week, that first month. But as more and more people opt in and adopt it um, um, and decide to hold their wealth in Bitcoin, that's what gives it its true value. It's not. It's not a. It's not a set number. It's not a set. Um, um, it, it's not a set marker like that. It, it's it's pure real people that have decided this is a this is a secure, safe way to store my wealth and value over time. Yeah, I like that description. So that is actually true for all forms of money. By the way, you don't need someone else's permission, or you don't need a government's blessing, and you don't need BlackRock to say, yeah, this thing's valuable. For something to have value, really market economics, the way it works. I think we lost Alex again. Oh, no. Oh, no. I jeez. Okay, well, um, we have about only 10 minutes uh, to, to wrap things up. So, uh, Jared, I know you had your hand up. Andrew, welcome. Power, what's up, guys? Um, so, if Jared, you want to finish a point, and Andrew, if you want to follow up, um, if you have something to say. But if Alex returns, Alex, we lost you. Jared, what's up? Hey, thanks, Jacob. Um, you know, I, I think this is a very interesting point, you know, what gives Bitcoin its value. And I, I think it's important to remind ourselves that all value is subjective. Uh, it's like beauty. It's in the eye of the beholder. Um, someone here has mentioned its permission, uh, permissionless nature. Someone else mentioned decentralized, adoption, scarcity. Uh, but for me, my subjective uh, view on what makes Bitcoin value, uh, valuable is its verifiability. That's what, what got me to become from just a guy who had some Bitcoin to a Bitcoiner. That transition um, is because I, I began to understand how absolutely verifiable Bitcoin is. If you have a... Uh, a, a piece of art that you think is from Picasso. To to prove that that is a Picasso painting, you have to go to an expert and get their opinion to look at the characteristics of the art or the 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 pencil stroke or the brush stroke. You have to get them to maybe take some scrapings to verify the uh, radioactive carbon dioxide that may exist in the bottle of wine that you purchased. You have to destroy the thing to truly know it. For example, gold. Bitcoin's verifiability 
um, doesn't require destruction. And, and that, in my opinion, and how easily and cheaply it can be verified. If you want to verify a gold bar, consider spending more than the value of the gold bar to verify that the entire bar is, in fact, gold. That is the only way to do it. And I think, for me, that's what convinced me that, that the value of Bitcoin is what it is, and, and, and how valuable it is, I should say. All right, so we are reaching the end of our time. Um, let's go for final comments. Let's try to keep it brief, one or two minutes. If you have something you want to wrap up with, let's see a hand. We'll go with you, and we'll move towards wrapping today. Hey, Alex, I had a question. Um, let me know if I'm able to ask it. I've been busy. Yeah, I came on Hey, so I wanted to ask about nodes. So currently, the Bitcoin network has about 10,000 or 12,000 nodes. Moving towards the future, right? Like if we have 2 billion people, 2 billion or 3 billion people on the Bitcoin network, how many nodes do you guys think the Bitcoin network should have with that amount of people, right? Like, should the amount, like, what's the proportion amount of nodes to the amount of users that are on the network? Like, if we have 3 billion people using Bitcoin, like, how many nodes do you guys think that we should have? Like, a million nodes, 100,000 nodes? Can you guys just give some insight on that? Um, yeah, I can jump on that. Oh, okay, uh, sorry, Tomery, go ahead, man. You've always got great insights. I'll let you go first, and I'll jump in after you. I, I would quickly caveat that we we only know of ten thousand to twelve thousand publicly addressable nodes. Um, we we are very confident there's a lot of nodes hiding behind VPNs still in China where they don't want to necessarily broadcast exactly their ip uh and 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 throughout the world right. yeah matt go ahead i don't listening nodes nodes over tour um there is and i forget who it is but he does um has some pretty pretty clever computer science to determine the number of nodes the number of public nodes is is around 10 to 12000 but that is by no means a measure of how many nodes actually exist i can tell you right now i have two nodes and neither of them are public be concerned about and uh running a node is a great way to secure your bitcoin as well uh, if you know what you're doing uh, but it should be the goal of every true Bitcoiner to understand the importance of a node and run a node and participate in the network. And that's what it is. It's network participation. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Sorry for well, jumping in, but I just want to correct you. Um, we know of about right now about 60,000 nodes. So we have some developers that are DNS seeds. So if you're a new wallet, you're looking for a node to connect to. There's a good chance that you're going to connect to one of the DNS seeds. Um, Luke Dash Jr. has a site that he could see, and there's about, I think I checked last week, there's about 60-something thousand, 62, 63,000 nodes. Um, but the 12,000 that you see are the ones that are reachable. They're the ones that are helping bootstrap new nodes. There's plenty of people that are already helping bootstrap new nodes, so it's really not important if your node is reachable or not. What's important is that you're validating your incoming transactions. Doesn't matter about your outgoing transactions. You can use any node to broadcast. But um, in order to know that you actually have Bitcoin and none of the rules have been broken, you need to validate those incoming transactions yourself. Um, and yeah, there isn't a, a right answer of how many nodes we need. It's 
there needs to be enough nodes to be decentralized enough to be censorship resistance around the world. Nobody knows an answer to how many that that is. And, it's not, and we need more ISPs. It's not really so much. I mean, yes, granted, on a personal level, you want to validate your own incoming transactions. But I mean, if you break it down to the ISP level of how many nodes are running and how many ISPs, there might be like a couple hundred of them. So um, that it's a tough answer to uh, it's a tough question to answer. But what we do know is we have in 2017, there was over one hundred and thirty thousand nodes. Um, so that changes. That number changes. But the reachable nodes is not as important as the uh, as the. It's not as important as if you personally are validating your own transactions. It doesn't matter if you're helping bootstrap other notes. The, the Mr. Hoddle, I think hey, that's a great Mr. point. Hold up one sec. Hold up one sec. Hey, Mr. Hoddle. Uh, first of all, appreciate you coming up and sharing that information. Number one, I've never heard anybody say what matters in addition to the number of nodes is the number of ISPs. By the way, that's a very cogent point. I agree with it 100%. <clears throat> So thanks for sharing that. Also, thanks for sharing the estimated 60,000. If you have a link that you can nest or maybe DM to me, if you, if you have a minute, I would greatly appreciate it so that we can, in the future, when this topic comes up, we can post that in the nest, let people know how to go check the number of nodes. Now, to break it down into more simple terms, there's a lot of people who are brand new to Bitcoin. What is a node? It's just a computer. Like it could be like a Raspberry Pi, it could be running on a, a server, it could be running on a laptop, it doesn't really matter. It's just a computer that has a copy of the Bitcoin software, basically. And the value... It's a, it's a piece of software. It's not a computer. It's a piece of software that you could run on a phone if you really wanted to. Um, and it doesn't necessarily mean to have all the transaction history. You could run a prune node where you don't need... You could uh, discard 500 gigabytes of the transactions. Um, what it does do, though, is... It validates your incoming transactions by the rules that are set by the, from the Bitcoin network. Um, but again, I just want people to understand that, like, just broadcast transactions is not as important as it is to validate your incoming transactions. Like, you want to know that the Bitcoin you're receiving is real. When you're broadcasting, you know that it's your Bitcoin that you're broadcasting. So it doesn't really matter. Um, as much. I mean, it matters. I mean, if you want to, like, if you want to, like, if you want to stay private, you want your node to be behind uh, the Onion network. So when you do broadcast, you're not relaying your IP address to the world, and you're not relaying that you're running a Bitcoin node at your home. Like, if you're not using uh, pr best private practices, anyone in the world could see that this IP address is running a node, and this IP address is located in this location. So it, there's a lot of you got to understand the privacy behind running the you node. Know, um, but just running it to run it, it's not really useful. I rather you not download a node just to run it. I rather you use it if you're not gonna if you're not accepting incoming transactions. If you're not buying Bitcoin, or you're not, you know you really there's no reason for you to run a node. You're not really helping the network by running maybe, the node by using maybe, a node. You're helping not, yourself. Maybe not. I'm gonna push back on that just a little bit, Mr. Yeah. Hoddle, and and to bring it down to really again basic basic terms, the value of having a crap ton of nodes is it further decentralizes Bitcoin. It makes but it, it doesn't harder. do. But but having a node just running doesn't do anything unless you're actually using it. So like if you're if there's a billion people that are running nodes and only ten of them are actually using the nodes, it doesn't matter about the other billion people that are running it. It does it doesn't do anything. 
It doesn't well, do I mean, anything my- unless it doesn't do anything unless there's an effort to shut them all down and it's one more copy. No, but if you're not actively using the node to like accept transactions, it doesn't like it doesn't matter. You don't need to shut down the co- like. Who cares if you have a copy if it's not being used? If you're there's no hash power that's actively trying to find blocks, and there's no one that is validating incoming transactions. It doesn't matter that there's a copy out there. All it right, has right. to be you. No, it does. It does. It does matter in that you can change that right at any given time. I, I think I'm talking about. This is intended to be a session for pre-coiners, and we're we're getting into some really nuanced details about in which scenarios and how to run a node. And I, I think I think the que- the question, if it's coming just from the same kind of naive perspective, it's like how many nodes is good, or how many is bad. And and if I was, if I was just giving a newbie answer, I would say the more the merrier. There's conditions under which some might not be terribly useful. There's conditions under which one might be incredibly useful. Uh, but for the most part, if you're using it, right? And and ultimately, if you're becoming a Bitcoin holder and a Bitcoin user, you will likely want to run your own Lightning instance, um, and you'll want to. And and for that, you need a live active node because you are uh, because Lightning requires uh, sitting on top of a live node. And you want to make sure that it's a reliable node for for the reasons Mr. Hodel was getting at, and uh, and you, and so you'll need one for that. So the more decentralized we want to build this network, the more you want to be able to use it in all the different ways that it can be used. Uh, the more you should personally run a node. Yeah, well, yeah, that I, was my... I want to make sure that we we stay in the framework of of the most likely listener. Like if we've got the name of the space, what is Bitcoin, a pre-coiner friendly discussion, we need to speak to that level of understanding. A lot of people are not going to understand the deeply nuanced aspects of the technology. So we need to wrap here shortly. So let's finish it up. Jared, go ahead. Yeah, uh, two quick things. I think there's been some interesting analysis on how Luke Dash Jr. comes about calculating nodes. Um, and I think that's something worth exploring at a different uh, at a different time. Secondly, you can't really get good at using a node unless you download it, install it, and start poking it. I'd recommend that if you uh, are interested in running a node, regardless of whether you're accepting or not accepting, just get it. It's free. Um, compile it yourself if you know how. Uh, give it a go. It's cool to do. Join the join the gang and uh, join the cool kids, or get left behind. Your choice. Yeah. Good point. Umbral is super easy. I'm not. I'm not uh, necessarily advocating like everybody should run Umbral. There's going to be people who it doesn't meet your needs, but um, super easy. Uh, that's pretty much it. We are going to uh, to wrap here. Want to thank everybody for being here. You are listening to Cafe Bitcoin. We do this every day, Monday through Friday. Start at seven a.m. Pacific run for about two hours, talk about all things Bitcoin. We have a varied level of discussion. Like today was very tailored towards brand new people to Bitcoin. But we also love to dig in a little deeper. Guys like Mr. Hodel, you're you're always welcome. Like highly technical uh, specialists in Bitcoin, always welcome. Um, so thanks for everybody for being here. I want to thank my co-host, Jacob Pope. Thank the speakers for those of you who are speaking. And also many of you are in the audience. Uh, you didn't come up here on stage, but you're in here on a regular basis. And, and many times you come up here, spend your own time helping others understand what Bitcoin is. I greatly appreciate what you guys do. 
uh, throw all of these people a follow. I work with Swan Bitcoin. I'm managing director with Swan Private. If you have questions about Bitcoin that didn't necessarily get answered today, or you want to learn how to buy Bitcoin, I'm here to help you out. You can throw, shoot me a DM. And then finally, everybody who's involved uh, in the Bitcoin ecosphere, whether you're brand new, just learning and just stacking maybe $10 or $50 of sats a, a month, or whether you're out there actively orange pilling others, we appreciate all of you. You all matter. I love all of you guys. Everybody go out there. Have a great day. Crush it. Bye, y'all. This holiday season, give the gift of Bitcoin to your loved ones. Swan delivers your Bitcoin gift along with our world-class education and client service. Create a Bitcoin gift and wrap it with a custom message for your family and friends. Dash away with your gift. Your recipient will receive an email right away that easy. Give the gift of generational wealth. Give Bitcoin.